Listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820 brings you Foundations in Faith. Join Monsignor Frank Lane as he offers insights into the readings heard at Mass. And now, Foundations in Faith with Monsignor Frank Lane. This is Father Frank Lane, and we're continuing our program, Foundations in Faith. Today we're going to look at the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, verses 49 to 53. It's a very, in some ways, a very disturbing passage because it kind of breaks a mold, it kind of breaks a, a stereotype of Jesus, and it lets us see a very different side of him, and also, therefore, a very different side of, of Christianity. We're used to seeing Jesus as the man of peace, and certainly um, in Ephesians, that's exactly what he's called. Paul calls him, in 2.14, he calls him peace itself. And so then when we enter into this gospel, however, and this man of peace, this good man, whom interestingly enough, we, we can easily marginalize into simply kind of a modern version of a do-gooder, which is what happened certainly 50, 60 years ago, um, even in the iconography of the church, when we, we kind of, um, you know, put him in, in, the, in the same category, we tended to put him in the same category, as like Mahatma Gandhi and, uh, and, and whoever else, Martin Luther King Jr. and so forth. Just kind of as, as someone, you know, kind of a, a person of, of peaceful protest, a person that, uh, you know, espouses a great cause. But we know that Jesus is more than that. And the more than that is what disturbs and distresses society at every age and in every time and in every place. For while they may be willing to say, oh yeah, well, he did good, they are not willing to say he is God. And when, in fact, we state that, and when we say, for instance, in the context of his whole life, this is what being uh, a God within humanity means, there is tremendous resistance that, that rises up. Because if Jesus is God, then he takes priority, then his judgments take priority over our own then his insights are more insightful than ours and his wisdom is greater than ours. And therefore, we, our relationship with him not only should be one of devotion, one of love, one of care, but also one of a profound humility. For although we too might be good people, we certainly are not God himself. We are not the third person of the Blessed Trinity. And if Jesus says, gives us hard sayings, then... <clears throat> Part of the obligation of the Christian is to, is to accept those hard sayings as the absolute truth of their life, and in so doing, to live it even contrary to the social norms of an age and of a time. I think that we've mentioned before kind of a very disturbing uh, proposition, that one of the leading um, German Catholic theologians at one point, especially in the discussion of the divorce and remarriage, when, when Jesus is saying, you know, that you shall, not, you shall not divorce your wife or your husband and so forth. And his response to that was, well, that's too harsh. We can't take that at its word. Well, we have to take that at its word. What we do with that is something different. But we have to take that at its word as a foundational principle of wherever we want to go with this kind of reflection and this kind of understanding. And I think that's the difference. We're not biblical fundamentalists. Um, but we certainly are fundamentally tied to the meaning and the truth of the scriptures. It's not, it's not simply a good suggestion. It's a mandate from the living God. 
And so when we come to our passage today, which is about violence and division, we, ha we have to kind of adjust ourselves to hear this, for this is unusual, and this is not something that we normally attribute to the Lord Jesus. And so he says, and so, he's, and so what, what Jesus says then is, I have come to bring fire to the earth, and how I wish it were already blazing. There is a baptism I must still receive, and how great is my distress till it is over. The baptism which the Lord speaks of is not the baptism of John, it's the baptism of his crucifixion, it's the baptism of blood. We have always maintained that there are a variety of kinds of baptism. And, uh, and one of those kinds of baptism is, uh, is the baptism of blood, the baptism of desire, the baptism of water. Blood is someone who wishes to become Christian and is martyred for that, but has not had the opportunity to be baptized. The Lord himself is saying this is his own baptism in blood, is the crucifixion, and how he wishes, his, and how he wishes it were already here, how he wishes it were over, knowing that in the future lies a very deep and a very traumatic event in Jesus' life. He says, I just, br just bring it on, just let it come, let it be over, let me not live in anticipation of this. And we know that when it does come, right on the edge of it, that, that he, he pleads with the Father to spare him, but then ultimately submits to the Father's will. And so too is it with us. We plead for our, for, to our Father, we plead to our Lord to spare us the hardships and the difficulties of our lives. Especially, for instance, if we have an incurable disease, we say, please spare us from the agony of this disease. But in the end, we submit to the will of God. In the end, your will, not mine, be done. And so Jesus is saying, I, I look forward in dread to what is going to happen to me because I know the excruciating pain and the loss that I will sense. The loss of companionship with his apostles, the loss of companionship with his mother, the loss of, the, the loss of, his, of his, the people. And also, in many ways, as we watch the history unfold, the loss of the very people he came to serve and to save because they have chosen another route, because they have turned their backs on him. And uh, in his human dimensionality, he has, to, he has to realize this is going to happen and see this as not only is his crucifixion therefore excruciatingly painful physically, but more painful emotionally. Emotionally in the loss of family and friends and emotionally in the failure of a mission. So Jesus is now talking about something very real, but very dark and very difficult for us to grapple with. But once again, if we take him for who he is and not whom we have created him to be, there is a consistency in this. There is a strength in this, which, uh, which very often, you know, in, in portraying Jesus as the, as the good guy, that we oftentimes also portray him as being weak. And what he is saying here is a Christian is not weak, but a, a Christian is peaceful, a Christian is kind, but he is not weak. And so the gospel goes on then and says, do you suppose that I'm here to bring peace on the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on, a household of five will be divided, three against two and two against three. The father divided against the son, the son against the father, mother and daughter, daughter against mother. 
mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law, and so forth. This is, a, this is taken from the prophecies of Micah, from chapter 7, verse 6 in the prophet Micah, where he says that this is going to, the, the, he said, the day of your watchman, Micah says, of your punishment has come, and now their confusion is at hand. Put your trust, put no trust in your neighbor. Um, have no confidence in a friend. Guard the doors of your mouth. And, and so on. For the son treats the father with contempt and the daughter rises up against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. And so Micah then is also prophesying about this kind of confusion and this kind of upheaval in, in, in the day of the Lord, in the day, God, the day of your watchman, he says. And so Jesus is now quoting basically um, the prophet Micah in looking forward into what is going to come because of his proclamation, his presence, and his promise. And so what happens then is we come to know and to understand that there is a, that I suppose in one, one of the commentators has, uh, has said that, that um, <clears throat> that Jesus says, you know, if good men are to be dissuaded from good because of doing good provokes violence, then evil is triumph. And, uh, and so then he says also, that a man who has attended, that it has come to the point where a man attended by violence does the works of God. And, uh, and, and this, is, th this is an interpretation of, of the gospel according, according to Luke that we, we've just heard and we've just read. So what does that mean for us? I mean, first of all, we're kind of shocked to hear this kind of language in the middle of a gospel, which we tend to call a gospel of peace, which essentially it is. We go back and we find that it is already um, prefigured for us in the prophecies of Micah. Then we hear Jesus using the words of the prophet to, des to describe what's going to happen. And he understands and he knows that when good is put into the midst of evil, evil resists. If good capitulates to that evil, then good ceases to be good and has no power in the world at all. But the good must resist the evil. And in resisting the evil, there may be violence, but then the Lord says, so be it. For it is a time then when violence in some way, shape, or form is the response of the Christian to the, to the works of darkness, the works of evil. And, and I think that one of the places we see this work out certainly in, in our own time, in our own place, is the tremendous hostility toward Christ, toward, toward Jesus, toward Christianity in the contemporary secular world. We used to be here in this country kind of a haven for Christianity, but that is, is no longer so. Christianity is now held up kind of as something evil, something violent, something oppressive, um, something that which crushes the human spirit. This is the secular mantra. This is the mantra of, of media things like the New York Times and, and, and other kind of irresponsible news media. But, <clears throat> but if we look at it and we say, I think a good example of this is to look at the abortion issue. Um, Pope Francis has said, you know, an abortion is basically an execution. Um, an execution is, by definition, a violent act. And, um, and so what happens then is if there is resistance in any way, shape, or form to the secular um, dogma of abortion as kind of one of the, the underpinnings of their civil faith, 
that if there is resistance to that in any way, shape, or form, then it said, see, see how the Christians are? See how, how they, how they um, resist the law? See how they um, promote violence? See how they do all... Well, what is the core? The core of violence is the execution of a young child. That's the core of violence. And, and, and so if Christianity resists that, even in a violent sort of way, in a powerful sort of way, that's what we're supposed to do. We're not supposed to roll over and play dead when secular society distorts the meaning of the human person, when secular society attacks the person of Jesus Christ, and when secular society therefore tries to maybe, you know, to immobilize Christianity, to bring Christianity into a power, a position of absolute weakness and submission to the, to the powers of the secular state. This was certainly what happened in the Roman Empire. Um, was was what was what was the violence? You know, the, the violence was the was the martyrdom of the Christians. Um, how did the Christians react to that? You know, they reacted to that with a firm and stiff resistance to into intimidation. It brings into question also, I think, some of the things that we find a hard time coming up with a definitive answer to many things. But one of the issues in history that I that I think about and ponder with some degree of frequency is what is the role of, of physical resistance to violence within the world, um, even if that resistance is a violent resistance. And I think back to, the, to for instance, back to the 8th century, um, when the armies of the Prophet marched across northern Africa, destroying an estimated 20,000 churches and executing thousands of people, crossed over into Spain, swept up through Spain and over the Pyrenees and into France. Um, their goal, basically, was to take over the whole, um, the whole Merovingian, Carolingian uh, territories and to establish, you know, there the rule of the Prophet. Um, but they were met at Tours, basically, um, actually at Poitiers, and uh, by, the Char by the armies of Charles Martel, who's, who resisted violently this incursion into, Christian, into the Christian kingdoms <coughs> of, of the late Merovingian, early Carolingian Empire. Was that, was that a legitimate resistance, or should they have simply stepped back in a pacifistic sort of way and allowed <coughs> the Islamic armies to overrun all of Europe, therefore obliterating the presence of Jesus Christ, the proclamation of the kingdom, and so forth, as they had succeeded in doing primarily in North Africa. It's a question, ask ourselves that question. Is there an answer? I think that I have my answer to that. Um, I certainly think that was a legitimate violence. I think that was a legitimate resistance. Um, People could disagree with me, but and 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 many I'm sure do. But at the same time, at the same time, what is Jesus saying in this gospel? There is fire coming upon the earth, and you know, and um, and you suppose I'm here to bring peace? No, I tell you, but rather division, and division we know also brings violence. So that the whole idea of there is a kind of violence, a violence in favor of righteousness, a violence in favor of truth, that is acceptable by gospel standards. 
The other, the other um, I think, contemporary issue that, that we have to look at in this is the whole idea, of, and Jesus here reflects that in what he says and in the words of the prophet Micah, the, the fact of that, that faith in Jesus Christ can cause divisions within families. And, uh, and, he, and he is obviously on the side of retaining your faith in Jesus Christ, even if it divides you from other members of your family. How many times, for instance, do we in the, in the modern world, um, do, do parents, for instance, succumb to, in a sense, a kind of a blackmail from their children? If you don't accept our way of life, if you don't accept what I believe, if you don't accept you know, my, my apostasy from the Catholic Church and so forth, then uh, if you resist that, then I won't love you anymore, and then you can't see your grandchildren, then all of this kind of thing. Um, what is the parent to do? According to Jesus, the parent is to resist that kind of pressure, that kind of blackmail, and hold firm, as painful as it might be, and as hurtful as it might be, retain their, their faithfulness um, to the principles of Christ Christianity and to their faith in Jesus Christ, even if it divides their family. And that's something that I think families struggle with. The majority of families capitulate to that because they don't want to lose their child or they don't want to be cut off from grandchildren. Um, and yet at the same time, Jesus is saying, you should expect this. This is part of it. To be a Christian is not just simply to be totally accommodating to every kind of ideology that comes down the road, even if it affects those we care for and those we love. That we still can love them but we cannot really surrender to their pressure and their, their unjust demands. For if, in fact, they would give to the parents the same kind of respect that they are demanding that their parents give to them, there would not be a conflict. But since it's all one-sided in these kinds of things, I'm right and you're wrong, um, and, uh, and if you stay faithful to Jesus Christ and you've chosen, then interestingly enough, the, the proposition is this, then you have chosen Jesus Christ, you've chosen God over me. And the answer to that is, of course I have, because Jesus Christ is God, and God has spoken to us, and you are not. And therefore, when it comes into the final and ultimate decisions of life, we stay with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. We stay in the truth of the Gospel. We stay in the person of Jesus Christ, which is why it is so critical that faith not just become an ideology for Christians, but that they become personal in a relationship with the Lord God himself. For if it is an ideology, then the conflict with the children becomes a conflict of ideas and not a conflict of the soul, and, uh, and not a conflict of, you know, good versus evil, God versus humanity. And, um, and so basically, and in this loving relationship with God, um, again, we go back to Micah. Uh, the day of your watchman, of your punishment has come. Now their confusion is at hand. Put no trust in a neighbor and have no confidence in a friend. Guard the doors of your mouth. For the son treats the father with contempt and so forth. So it's going to happen, and and uh, the time has come. The day, the, you know, in the day, in the day of the watchman, it 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 has come, and this is something that we can't really, um, we we can't really 
just dismiss and saying, well, the whole idea is just to create peace. So, yeah, so to create peace within the family, to create peace within society, I will succumb and I will submit and uh, to all of the forces of untruth, the forces of deception and the forces of darkness around me, because that's what the Christian does. That is not what the Christian does. That's not what Jesus did. He boldly faced his accusers. He boldly refused to submit even to their questioning, and he boldly accepted the sacrifice of the cross. And uh, the result was he rose from the dead for the salvation of all. We too have this obligation to resist um, this temptation within society. Should Charles Martel at the Battle of Poitiers in 722, should he have just laid down his arms and let, the, let themselves be overrun by the Muslim armies? I don't know. Think about that and see. Think about what the heritage of Europe would have been. Think about the, what, what would have happened to Christianity if that would have taken place. Think about that being a choice, you know, a, a, a choice for the Lord. And, uh, and then, and then see, see what you think about that. It's difficult, too, even when dealing with the other issue that I brought up, the dealing with, with divisions within families. It isn't, it, if, if the child loves the parent, if, then the child would not do that to the parent. They might go off and live their own life as they see fit, but they would not demand that their parents capitulate, give up their own beliefs and their own values, and accept those of the child. They would not demand that. It is not an act of love to do something like that. It is an act of violence, an act of division. And Jesus said, this is exactly what's going to happen. We know also, for instance, in, the, in some of the heroic stories, of, uh, for instance, of the young saints, the tremendous resistance that many of them had to their, to their love for Jesus Christ, how it cut them off from their families oftentimes. And, uh, and even though, you know, in the, uh, when, when they decided to, when they were called to die at a young age, they did so without regret, for they died in the arms of Christ and they died in the promise of the kingdom of heaven. And, uh, and they died also in knowledge and, and understanding that this death was a witness to others of the power of faith and the power of the person of Jesus Christ in their lives. In our own lives, we have to, re we have to reflect upon these kinds of things. We have to ask ourselves. And while right now, all we get kind of is, a, is a verbal abuse and sometimes physical abuse, but, you know, as this, as this force continues to grow in the Western world, as it grows in China, as it grows in Nigeria, as it grows in the, in the, in, in the Middle East, and so forth, we know that there will come, there may well come a time when it is more than just verbal abuse that we have to endure, we have to suffer. Um, we, we, we like to, uh, we, we, we have to keep the faith no matter what. I think back also to the Protestant Reformation in England, when instead of, you know, basically attacking the Catholics, um, Queen Elizabeth simply basically starved them to death financially, taxed them out of, the, out of all of their privilege, out of all their position, with it, reducing Catholicism ba basically to penury, to poverty, so that it became kind of an in, impo impotent kind of uh, force of the poor within within the Kingdom of England, doing so all the time by keeping uh, ex externals, uh, external realities, but particularly the liturgy, 
fundamentally unchanged so that people didn't realize what was happening to them. A subtle form of persecution and probably one more insidious than an absolute attack. We're going to have a combination of both of that. We seem to be having a combination of both of that within, within our society. We don't know where it goes and we don't know how strong the Christian response is going to be. We don't know how strong the Catholic response is going to be. Certainly we have taken the stand um, in, in the Catholic Church against the violence of the execution of small children. Um, but uh, but have not really have not really done so in 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 any kind of armed conflict of any kind. We simply don't know what's going to happen, and neither did the disciples who Jesus was talking to know what was going to happen. They instead simply listened, and then they were to experience what was to happen. Every one of the apostles was to be martyred, with the exception of Saint John, who lived to a great old age. In, in order that the apostolic reflection on the original biblical revelation could be incorporated into the faith life of the people in the ages and the generations to come. So this was all, you know, this, this is to be lived out in, in, lived out in the life of the disciples and, uh, and in the life of the apostles. Um, we don't know about divisions within their families, but we can only presume that there were such things um, when, in fact, they, they left their Jewish roots and, uh, and began to follow, the, uh, and, and begin to follow the, the prophet, the new Messiah, um, the one whom, they, whom all of Israel had anticipated would eventually come. Jesus then shares that experience with us. And he shares that experience with us in the very first part of this gospel. I have come to bring fire to the earth and how I wish it were blazing already. That, you know, that there is going to be, this is going to be a, a revolution of sorts. And, uh, and, I, and I want it to start now because it's so critical for the salvation of people. There is a baptism I must still receive and how great is my distress till it is over. He is the one who faces then the hostility of his own society, the hostility of the Roman authorities. He is the one then who faces the Sanhedrin, and he is the one brought out on the balcony before the crowds who cry for Barabbas' release and his execution. He is the one, therefore, who brings that kind of fire upon earth and is in. He could have said, yes, I'm very sorry, you know, and then go about even maybe secretly um, proclaiming the gospel. But he knows that that is not what's going to bring salvation to the world any more than ourselves being totally submissive to a darkness and culture is going to bring salvation to the world. We have to be, stand up. We have to be counted. We have to be somehow or other a, a reality in the world in which we live, a reality that witnesses to the trust in, in our Lord Jesus Christ, to faith in the Father, Son, and the Spirit, to compassion for the suffering and uh, compassion for those whom society has decided to, to annihilate in a, in a very subtle form of genocide. We, 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 do, we do have to be people of faith and people who are noticed for their faith. And this is what Jesus is saying in the Gospel. We will experience the human consequences of that, as Micah predicted, as Jesus says. And when those consequences come into our own lives as they came into the life of the Lord, then we too must stand strong, stand firm, keep our eyes focused and fixed on the things of God, 
and be willing to walk into the fires that the modern world may provide for us. Foundations in Faith is a production of listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820. Archives of Foundations in Faith are available at stgabrielradio.com. gone to church, you know, at Christmas time, gradually quit going. It's not as scary as I thought it was. <laughs> it's a much more warm and open place, and God really is about love. It's not about the rules and the things that I remember as a young child. It really is about the love that God has for each one of us that's so um, deep and wonderful. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for any reason, visit catholicscomehome.org.